And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode... Oh dear God, I have no idea. Yeah, typical Sunday. I am not prepared. I think it's episode 54. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to look. It is episode... Eh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's 54, because 52 was with Mike. 53 was magazine review... And I don't know. We're going to go with 54 because by the time I actually look it up, um, I've already wasted like 30 seconds trying to figure it out. So we're going to go with 54. Sounds good to me. So anyway, welcome to episode 54. I am semi-prepared. How has your week been? Mine has been pretty good. I have been at my sister's for the past week, and shout out to my sister. I'm supposed to tell everybody how awesome my sister is, because my sister is awesome. So, (laughs) not that she listens to the podcast, but you know, she told me that that was something I could talk about, was how awesome my sister was. And we had Halloween, that was on Wednesday, so that was fun, what'd you guys all do for Halloween? I shelled out candy, and I can tell you, for a fact, my inability to be able to put effective, good-looking makeup on really, really works well for Halloween. My 19-year-old daughter has promised she will give me a lesson in makeup application for PCE so that I don't look like a $5 hooker. I want at least $10. Okay, so this is, yes, episode 54. I was right. Okay. I am, as always, your awesome host, Stephanie Barty, and I'm flying solo again. I'm back in the driver's seat. Mike was just a one-time thing. Speaking of Mike, I did actually go and see him wrestle last night. Um, I've never seen him wrestle. I've known him. I think we've figured it out like 13 years, something like that, and I've never seen him wrestle. And he was wrestling um, 14 minutes away from my sister's place, so hopped in the car, and me and a buddy went down, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a wrestling fan. If you listen to dispatches from Shed Quarters, um, Mike and Jason were kind of picking on me for not being a wrestling fan and being dragged into it and actually learning something from their podcast about wrestling. Um, and it's funny because I hang out with and talk to and spend my time, most of my time with people who are into wrestling and watch wrestling and talk about wrestling. And I'm over here like, uh, uh, you got me. So I figured when I went last night, I figured, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be, you know, mildly amused more so at the crowd and how they get wound up than the actual wrestling itself. Okay. So because I have probably about three listeners, (laughs) I can admit this. Um, I had a good time. I really had a good time. It was fun. 
the crowd participation and the excitement level with the crowd was um, contagious. And then when Mike came out, he was in a tag team event with um, a really good looking firefighter from Guelph, I think. And the entire row I was sitting in, the entire back row was there for Mike, Iron Mike and Bam Bam. And uh, so they came out and of course we all got stupid. We're yelling and we're screaming and arms are waving and we're cheering them on. And um, then the bad guys come out and <laughs> it was a pretty good match. Like I was impressed. I was seeing stuff that um, my husband and my boys used to watch wrestling back when like with Randy Savage and um, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart. Um, yeah, those are the only... Oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, because he's my favorite. Those are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head, but you know the era that I'm going for. And they used to watch it, so I knew what some of the moves looked like. Don't ask me the names. I couldn't tell you. I could tell you, you know, grab them by the leg and flip them over three times. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. But, yeah, the moves were pretty impressive. It was the same stuff you see on TV, and uh, I was impressed. Mike still got it. He knows his stuff and he puts on a good show. So well done, Mike, because I know you are one of the three that listen to this podcast. Uh, I kind of sort of want to learn a bit more about wrestling now. Yeah, and I think I just heard a collective squee from all my wrestling friends. Okay, so that's one thing I want to talk about. Another thing I want to touch on is you may have noticed, and it took about a week for us to get everything fixed. On the website, you may have noticed some of the stories and some of the bios have these funky little symbols and funky little, like an ampersand here or um, an at symbol there. What that is, is coding from another program. Um, For example, when I have to cut and paste a bio or um, a body of work, like a poem or a story, from the body of the email, it's going to pick up all of the coding that is in that email. And then I put it into a Word document, and I clean it up as best I can, and then I send it to Dave. Well, it kind of drags along a lot of that coding with it. So when Dave does all the HTML coding for the magazine, it's picking up all that other coding as well. And he can't see it. Like, it's not like it just pops up and says, hey, I'm here. Um, So you're going to get those funky symbols. Now, he can't see that on his end because he's doing all the coding. And we usually, the night before the magazine goes live, we'll go through it page by page And I will tell him, you know, this paragraph, this line starts with these words, find it. There's this symbol, like it's an A with an X on TG. Um, And he'll fix it. And that actually, I think that particular code is an extra space. But anyway, so that's what that is. So um, that's why we stress heavily that you read the submission guidelines and you send everything as an attachment, as a dot, as a word document, 
uh, and then we don't have that. So just in case you were wondering where those came from, that's what they are. Okay, um, there was also something else that I had to tell you. And I've been on vacation for a week, so I don't remember exactly. Oh, <laughs> right. Now I do. Okay, so Dave wanted me to also mention that um, we are going to be, we have picked our, um, we had two people sit down and go through all of the artwork that we have for the past year. And um, we have picked our 12 for our 2020 calendar. And we will be contacting the artists of those 12 pieces within probably the next week or two to um, have them, well, basically to get their permission to um, be in the calendar. So if you've submitted artwork in the last year, since our last calendar, and I think the last calendar went from... December, well, we went from December to September. So, I think. I don't remember. Anyway, um, check, keep, if you've submitted any artwork, um, keep an eye on your email. And we may be asking your permission to put your piece of artwork into our 2020 calendar, which will be available in December of this year, so you can have the calendar for the upcoming year. Um, we're a little more on the ball this year than we were last year. So, there's that. Now, I got a lot of feedback over the last um, three podcasts, four podcasts, that, well, the podcasts that I did for the month of October. And I was doing, um, I did two episodes of American Urban Legends and, like, all the creepy scary folk tales and urban legends and how some of them are based in truth. And then I went state by state and the major urban legends in state. And then I came to Canada and did the Canadian urban legends and scary stories. And I did um, the most haunted places in Canada. And because I live in um, Ontario, I did the haunted places in Ontario and I got a really, I got some really good feedback on those episodes. So I thought I would kind of, um, sorry, I had to pause for the cause. I'm thirsty. But I'm not pulling the mic. I'm not drinking beer while I'm doing this. So I think the last one that dispatches from Shed Quarters, they were actually drinking coffee. I had to rewind that and listen again because I didn't get my my obligatory as they opened the beer can. So, um, where was I? I? Told you I'm on vacation, so my brain is shut off. Oh, right. So I thought I would kind of um, stay within that vein this week, but not just the creepy, scary, paranormal, supernatural, Halloween kind of folk tales. So. I came up with, I mean, I was going to do, originally I was going to do sayings. Where do particular sayings come from? Like, cold as the witch's tit, or um, freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Or there is one that we like to use. I don't know if it's used often in the States, 
but I know here, at least in Ontario, um, an expression we like to use is, pardon my language, because I don't normally swear on this, but shit ton. <laughs> Everything is a shit ton. You have a lot of homework, it's a shit ton. You have a lot of housework, it's a shit ton. So, but I changed my mind. So, <laughs> we're going in a different direction. If you want me to do expressions next week, just shoot me an email at stephaniebarty at theworldofmyth.com or find me on Facebook at um, Stephanie Barty Author or you can shoot a message to um, our Facebook page for the World of Myth Bits podcast or the World of Myth Bits magazine and let me know. Um, and I will do Where Do Sayings Come From next week. Okay, so I was trying to keep it, you know, American and Canadian because I'm Canadian and a lot of my listeners are American. So, first of all, I'm going to give you the definition. <laughs> of course, I'm prepared for that of what a folk tale is as compared to an urban legend. A folk tale is an old story that's been told again and again, often for generations. Folk tales are stories in the oral tradition or tales that people tell each other out loud rather than stories in written form. They're closely related to many storytelling traditions, including fables, myths, and fairy tales. Now, an urban legend is regional. Now, a lot of folk tales can be regional as well, but a lot of times they're more um, cultural than regional. So, an urban legend... You guys are not unused to listening to me type. Okay, so an urban legend is often a lurid story or anecdote that is based on hearsay and widely circulated as truth. So there you go. So that's the difference. Okay, so I found five famous American folk tales. Now, the first one says, Historically, folk tales are stories that emanated from both truth and myth. These stories are passed down through generations and have embedded themselves in history. Most have supernatural elements and focus on a particular action or are meant to convey a message to their listeners. These stories have no one author but are built from years of retelling, harboring slight variations in each telling. Today's surviving folktales merge fantasy and truth to create seemingly outlandish tales. These are the five most famous American folktales. So the first one is Princess Scargo. Rooted in Native American lore is the tale of Princess Scargo. In the most popular version, a man from a neighboring village brought to Princess Scargo four fish before leaving for war. She had a small pond dug to keep the fish in. One morning, she woke to find the pond dried up, and three of the four fish had died. She cried and cried, her tears keeping the last five, the last fish alive until her father could create a lake for the fish to live in. This lake became Scargo Lake, and here the fish lived out a long and happy life. In the end of this version, the man from the neighboring village also returns for more. Oh, yes. Now, even as a Canadian, I happen to know this particular folktale, and that is Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Davy Crockett's story is part legend, part fact. 
who's widely known as King of the Wild Frontier, and for having a reputation of being a skilled hunter and storyteller. Crockett's name became a legend after he died in the Battle of the Alamo in 1836. He was heralded as a Texan savior and inspired many in the fight for Texas independence. In the mid-1900s, the Ballad of Davy Crockett premiered. The song detailed the frontiersman's life in outlandish detail. According to the song, he was born on a mountaintop and wrestled a goat. Neither were true. But they helped build the legend surrounding Crockett. Disney has also had their take on the legend, both as a movie and in addition to the Disneyland theme parks as Frontierland. I've been to Frontierland. Well, I've been to Disney World in Florida. Oh, Johnny Appleseed. I know this one too. John Chapman. Chap- blah, blah, blah. Okay. Hey, at least we made it. Let's see. 16 minutes. Yaha. Before I got tongue-tied. Okay. John Chapman, known in lore as Johnny Appleseed, became famous when he started planting large amounts of apple trees in most of Pennsylvania. His reputation spread throughout the country because of his kind and generous approach towards conservation and the symbolic importance he put on apples. Today, depictions of Appleseed usually portray the man walking barefoot in an apple orchard tending to trees. Ah, how sweet. Now, this one is sort of Canadian, sort of um, American. I think this one is, yeah, it, it kind of crosses both borders. Because it is made of the mist. And according to Iroquois legend, the young tribeswoman, oh God, I can never pronounce her name, Lilawala, was heartbroken by the death of her husband. After weeks of enduring the heartache, it became too much. She climbed into her canoe and paddled towards the edge of Niagara Falls, where currents quickly swept her over. However, before reaching the bottom, Lilawala was rescued by Hino, the god of thunder, and nursed back to health by him and his son. Leila Walla fell in love with Hino's son, married him, and lived with the family behind the waterfall. However, her new mythical status meant she could never see her family. She was only ever permitted to see them once, to warn of a giant snake who threatened to poison the village's water supply. When the snake arrived in the village, he found it empty. Leila Walla saved her people and carried out her life beneath the falls. So there you go. I've been to Niagara Falls numerous times. I am actually technically 20 minutes away from Niagara Falls, give or take. Okay, everybody knows this one. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. The story of Paul Bunyan and his blue ox, Babe, emerged from loggers in North America. These tales were commonly told in the bunkhouses of loggers and usually contained elements of other popular folklore like strange creatures, freak weather, and superhuman abilities. Each telling was so widespread that it's impossible to pinpoint one variant as the original. Some tales claim that Bunyan was taller than a mountain, while others say his and Babe's footprints created the 10,000 lakes of Minnesota. Together, Bunyan and Babe are two of the most famous folk heroes of American culture. Americans' legends and lore have helped shape our history. Well, your history. (laughs) They take an imaginative spin on true stories then pass them on from generation to generation, slowly adding bits and pieces to craft the tales we still tell. Even today, there are countless versions of every folktale, and they continue to change with each narration, with with purposes ranging from explaining the unknown to helping Americans through difficult times. America's most popular folktales will forever be ingrained in the spirit of the nation. So those are five famous American folktales. Now, 
we are going to pop over to folklore in Canada. Now, folklore in Canada consists of two elements. The folklore tradition of the Aboriginal peoples, Indians and Eskimo, and the intrusive folk tradition of the French and British races. The development of each has been, to a considerable extent, influenced by contact with the, with the other. A great deal has been achieved in recording folk tales of the Indians, Eskimo, and French Canadians, but little has been attempted in the fields of English and Gaelic folklore. Among the French Canadians, much folklore is still current and is still firmly believed by the country, pe- by the country people. Formerly, the contour or storyteller, is a well-known and important personage. One of the most ancient of the primitive beliefs is that of buried treasure, a legend which exists in various forms all along the St. Lawrence from Gaspé to Quebec. A typical story is that of the gold buried by sailors at the foot of the Sato Mountains and now guarded by the, <laughs> by the little grey man. Gnomes and goblins frequently appear in the folklore of French Canada, and many stories of haunted houses and other places are current. Souls of the damned are often supposed to paddle a huge magic canoe through the air. Those remiss in performing religious duties, while still alive, are transformed into various animals. In addition to those stories, in addition to those stories which concern some general belief, there are also many about specific characters, such as Sleeping Beauty, Bluebeard, and Little Red Riding Hood. Scottish Gaelic lore still exists in large sections of Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, and, to a lesser extent, the Glengarry County, Glengarry County, Ontario. Witches and witchcraft are firmly rooted in the county of... Okay, I can never say this county, and I'm not even going to try. It's in Nova Scotia. And in Cape Breton, innumerable amount, in blah, 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 innumerable tales of haunting by animals can be collected throughout Nova Scotia, while tales of people supposed to have bartered their souls to the devil for supernatural power are by no means rare. The interaction of native and intrusive folklore, folklore is suggested by the resemblance between the Gaelic and Micmac Indian legends of how the haddock and the squirrel respectively acquired their stripes. A large body of Indian lore still exists, although it has received numerous additions from contact with the whites. The lore of Indians in Canada possesses the general characteristics of North American Indian folklore. This includes mythological tales concerning the world before assuming its present state. True creation myths are almost wholly lacking, but origin origin myths often explaining some phenomenon in present-day life are common. Glooscap, the man, the man god, known among the natives of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland as well as elsewhere, is typical of the hero in a world already assumed as existing, who is responsible for various aspects of culture and for many changes in topography. A second class of legend is concerned with the pranks of a trickster who is either a buffoon or an animal endowed with human characteristics. Often the trickster is identified with the culture hero. A third class describes the life of human beings under conditions at least remotely resembling the present. They are, are, however, largely occupied with the marvelous and abound in transformations, magic, journeys to the other world, ogres, and beast marriages. The Eskimo are poor in explanatory myths and trickster tales. Animal stories and accounts of monsters and pursuits occupy a large part of their mythology. The stories of the Alaskan natives who have a passion for stories 
are more sophisticated, more detailed, and more complete than those of the Copper Eskimo in northern Canada in the vicinity of Coronation Gulf. The stories of the Copper Eskimo bear a Oh, wow, I am having issues tonight. The stories of the Copper Eskimo bear a greater affinity to those recorded from Hudson Bay and Baffin Land. I think that was supposed to say Baffin Island, so it's not just me. Then to those from Alaska. Unlike the Alaskans, the Copper Eskimo believe all their tales to be equally true. So, that's a little history on folklore in Canada. So, now I'm going to tell you about some folklore in Canada. So, there's this website called fairytales.com. It's fairytales with a Z. And they have a lot of um, tales, and they go by region, they go by author and collection, they go by story index, they have user tales. Um, You can search the site. And I found... um, Cyrus Macmillan's collection of Canadian fairy tales. So, here we go. So, Canadian folklore and fairy tales, like I said, were influenced by region and ethnocultural groups around Canada. With Inuit Indian folklore, French Canadian, and Anglo Canadian folklore, to name a few, the breadth of folkloric history in Canada is a vast and colorful one. The folktales are often filled with legends of the Sasquatch, Ogopogo, and other forest monsters. Magical tales of werewolves, witches, and devils are favorites among the stories for children and adults. From 17th century explorers, trappers, and traders, missionaries, and migration myths, the folklore is rich in history, customs, and beliefs. The strong oral traditions in the early 1900s helped Canadians establish a national identity and fortify their cultural rights. The, with influence from over 70 oral traditions from around the world, Canadian folktales cannot be classified easily as their roots can be traced all across Europe and even back to medieval times. Canadian folklore and fairy tales are amusing, clever, and fun-loving tales that transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. Many of the Canadian Native American tales are creation or origin myths that have strong themes of nature and the seasons similar to Native American folklore throughout the Americas. Like most countries, storytelling in Canada is deeply rooted in tradition and cultural identity. Collections like Professor Cyrus McMillan's Canadian Fairy Tales saved these great relics of Canadian history. American author Cornelius Matthews collected Native American stories from across the Americas and published them in his Indian Fairy Book. An outspoken advocate for women's equality and Sioux writer Zikalasa collected and published Native American tales in her book, Old Indian Fairy Tales. So we have a collection here, and we pretty much go, well, we start at B. There's a whole bunch. Um, Some of them, I'll I'll read you the names. And these are Canadian folktales. There was The Boy Who Was Called Thickhead, The Boy of the Red Twilight Sky, The Boy and the Dragon, The Boy in the Land of Shadows, the Boy Who Was Saved by Thoughts. <laughs> That's an interesting one. The Boy Who Overcame the Giants. The Children with One Eye. The Cruel Stepmother. Ermine and the Hunter. Great Heart and the Three Tests. The Girl Who Always Cried. The Giant with the Gray Feathers. The Goddess of Light. How Glooskap Made the Birds. 
how Raven brought fire to the Indians, how Rabbit deceived Fox, Jack and his wonderful hen, the mermaids of the Magdalene's, Owl with the Great Head and Eyes, Rabbit and the Grain Buyers, Rabbit and the Indian Chief, Rainbow and the Autumn Leaves, Rabbit and the Moon Man, St. Nicholas and the Children, gee, I wonder what season that's for, The Fall of the Spider, The Songbird and the Healing Waters, Sparrow's Search for the Rain, The Tobacco Fairy from the Blue Hills, and The Youth and the Dog Dance. So, I think I'm going to pick one. That sounds interesting, and we will check it out. Let's see. Because, see, this is what, this is what, it, I should have looked at this site before, because this isn't exactly what I was looking for. I was kind of looking for something along the lines of what I did, what I found with the American one. So, let's see. Let's try this again. Famous Canadian folktales. I mean, like I said, Ogo Pogo is one. Um, now, Ogo, I guess I could tell you who Ogo Pogo is. Ogo. He's kind of our... I think I did tell you who Ogo Pogo was a few podcasts ago. Possibly. Um, in Canadian folklore, Ogopogo, or Netaka, is a lake monster reported to live in Okanagan Lake, in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada. So, that he is our answer to the Loch Ness Monster. Okay, so this isn't going to help me either. See, I told you, totally unprepared for this week. But, you know, you're used to that. I'm used to flying by the seat of my pants. I'm just usually much better at it. <laughs> Alright. Okay, and I'm not going to look for Canadian folktales on an American folktale site. That would just be innately wrong. See, this lists all the folktales too, so... This isn't going to help either. We have a lot of really long-winded folktales, not just... Alright, so you know what? We're going to go with eight Canadian mythical monsters, just because my brain hurts. And it's my show. And I can switch directions, so I'm going to. Okay, so... If the... So, as... as bleh. As a Canadian and living in Canada, we have a reputation for friendly faces and impeccable manners. But Canada is still, by and large, a vast and wild place. So it should come as no surprise to hear that it has its own cultural pantheon of legendary beasts. Although some of them seem awfully similar to certain European creatures of lore, and being as folktales brought across the ocean by settlers, other legends stem from Aboriginal myths, we have... A few have originated in the modern era, describing monsters that were first sighted and sometimes even photographed within recent memory. Okay, so the first one up is Caddy. For over 200 years, people in the coastal region of British Columbia have been spotting this plesiosaur-looking sea serpent, supposedly pictured above. Let me see if there's a picture. Uh, no, I'm looking at Sir Ian McClellan, so he's not pictured above. Nice try. 
looking at a video of Sir Ian McClellan. <sighs> Sorry. Slight pause for Magneto. Anyway, I carry on. Um, supposedly pictured above with the head of a horse or sometimes a camel, small flippers in the front and either a large pair of flippers in the back or a powerful tail with a flipper on the end. Cadborosaurus, or Caddy for short, is named after Cadborough Bay on Vancouver Island, where it supposedly likes to hang out. And theories on it abound. Folks have explained it away as a pipefish, a giant oarfish, a basking shark, even a sea lion. At least nine carcasses have surfaced that people have purported to be caddies, although they usually turn out to be sharks or small whales. In 2009, fisherman Kelly Nash took a video of what he claims to be caddy. Interestingly, the native tribes in Alaska, just to the northwest of BC, tell a tale about a similar creature, and they once painted its image on canoes in hopes of warding it off. Oh, the Wendigo. I think we talked about the Wendigo two weeks ago. Um, anyway, Wendigo or Wendigo is an evil human-like demon who, it is, it was believed by the Algonquin tribes of the Great Lakes region of Canada, can turn humans into cannibals by possessing them. It was thought that a human could also become a Wendigo just by participating in cannibalism, and as such, it was considered preferable by the native people to kill yourself rather than resort to cannibalism if the necessity should arise. Hey, Mike, there's a would you rather for you and Jason. Would you rather die of starvation or cannibalize your friend? Think on that. Okay, so Wendigos are easy to spot. They're extremely tall and emaciated with yellowed, rotting skin and sunken eyes. And they hang out in freezing forests looking for people who might be starving enough to eat another person. The Wendigo was a symbol of greed, and the legend was clearly terrifying, too. In 1907, a Cree chief and medicine man named Jack Fiddler and his brother, Joseph, were charged with the murder of 14 people. The brothers claimed they were all Wendigos or about to turn into them. Despite widespread appeals for his release, Jack either hung himself or died of consumption. Sources differ on that. Soon after, at the age of 87. Okay, and then we have Mussy, a.k.a. Happy Happy Zellor, Axlor, I don't know. Why do I keep picking things with words I can't pronounce? Canada loves its lake monsters, which makes sense for a country that has about two million lakes. Yes, you heard me. Two million lakes. Named after its home of Muskrat Lake, about 70 miles northwest. See, this is the product of that song, Muskrat Love. I'm telling you, it is. It's got to be. Named after its home of Muskrat Lake, about 70 miles northwest of Ottawa, Mussie's most interesting attribute is that nobody can seem to agree what it looks like. Sometimes Mussie looks like a walrus, sometimes a big sturgeon, sometimes a three-eyed Nessie. Sometimes has legs, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it has a mouthful of sharp teeth, and sometimes just has a single glorious one in front. But all accounts agree that it's a creature named Mussy, probably because it was originally called Happy Elks, whatever, and everyone agreed that that was too hard to say. See? Although no one explained what Mussy is, no one seems to be afraid of it either, with nearby villages treating it as a cultural mascot and referencing it in travel pamphlets. 
Wahila. Wipeout! Wahilas are gigantic wolves with wider heads, spread out toes, and long white fur, much like the prehistoric dire wolves. They are said to hang out in the Northwest Territories, specifically the remote Nahani Valley, and their hobbies include ripping your head off. Ah, there's a good hobby. I think I've engaged in that hobby maybe... Hmm. Well, at least once this week. So, blah, blah, blah. so established, so established is this rep, in fact, the, that the area has been nicknamed the Valley of the Headless Man, due to a few more than due, due to more than a few cases of decapitated corpses turning up there. All of these murders, of course, have been blamed on the wily Wahila, who allegedly stands four feet at the shoulder. Like Caddy, this monster bears a strong resemblance to a mythical Inuit creature, one called an Amarok. They're pretty much the same idea, except the Amarok is gray and is less about ripping your head off than it is about just eating you for being dumb enough to hunt alone in the dark. Tough, but fair. The Thetis Lake Monster. This is another lake monster, but it's not your standard issue dinosaur in a lake. This creature is known as Canadian Lizard Man, and he looks like a slee stack mixed with Gill Man, a.k.a. the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> okay, and again, there's no picture. Located, supposedly, in Thetis Lake in Vancouver Island, he's really just a short guy with silvery blue scares and bar- scales and barbed fins down his back. He's only been sighted once by two teenaged boys in 1972, one of whom said he was slashed by the monster's webbed claws. Four days later, two men said they'd seen the same thing on the other side of the lake, but they later recanted, and in 2011, a Canadian fisherman supposedly encountered it, but that account is vague. The story may have caught some air because of its similarity to a native legend from nearby Haiti Gwai, hope I pronounced that, properly, a.k.a. the Queen Charlotte Islands. I could have just gone with that. But it's essentially the same concept, except the Haiti monster has two tails and a hat. Because our Canadian monsters are well-dressed. I don't know. Number six, Old Yellowtop. Old Yellowtop, now that's it. See, now that I can pronounce. That is a name I can pronounce. Old Yellowtop is just a blind Sasquatch who hangs out in Ontario instead of British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest. Originally reported in a newspaper in 1906 and sometimes called a pre-Cambrian shield man, OYT is often mistaken for a bear until people get a load of its yellow mane and talent for running around on two legs instead of four. The beast's fur is dark everywhere except its head, and it's said to rock a shoulder-length hairdo. For a while, it was sighted about once every 20 or 25 years, but its last cameo was in 1970 when it walked across the road in front of a vehicle carrying a group of miners and almost caused the driver to plunge down a rock cut. Oh dear. I have to look and find out where that is, because I am at the Canadian escarpment, so, you know. It could be in the mountains, right down the end of the street. You never know. Okay. Adlet. Adlets are another Inuit invention. They're human people with dog legs who can run fast like dogs, and are said to be the product of a union between between a woman and a giant dog. Uh, just you know, this is not that kind of show. When this legendary woman birthed ten puppies, 
dear, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? She let five of them run across the ice, which, the story goes, to become the original Europeans. <laughs> the five that stayed behind became abominations and spent their time infighting and wandering the tundra, searching for Inuit villages to feast upon. Anthologist Franz Boas recorded several native tales about adlets which traveled in Baffin Island and published them in 1889. Correlations were made to other cultural stories of half-human, half-dog creatures, including those of the Dakal tribe of British Columbia and the indigenous <sighs> Chukchi people in Siberia. Ah, uh, and another one of my favorites, which we did, I know for a fact, we touched on two weeks ago. Le loup garou. The French word loup garou translates to werewolf. But in French Canada, it denotes a very specific kind of werewolf. The Quebecois knew, no, le loup garou is the unfortunate soul who failed to complete his religious duties in time for Easter. Not once, but seven years in a row. His miserable state may also be punishment for the crimes of either making a pact with the devil or planting potatoes on a Sunday. You know, they're both punishable by free fangs once a month. You didn't plant the potatoes, you made a pact with Satan. Despite the name, the loop guru doesn't have to be a wolf and can take the form of a pig, a cat, a calf, an ox, or another animal. Most of the other werewolf rules apply to this monster, though. He takes on his animal form only at night and goes around trying to eat people. If a loop garou attacks you, you're supposed to throw rocks at it or stab it with a knife. If you can manage to draw blood, the curse will be broken and the monster will revert to its human form. Afterwards, neither side can talk about it or you both run the risk of turning into loop garous. Which is why nobody talks about it. It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. So there you go. There are eight Canadian, eight mythical Canadian monsters for you. And, oh, okay. Whew. I thought I just deleted the entire podcast. I was about to cry because that would have been 40 minutes of, oh no, I have to do this again. And you probably just would have got me just sobbing and crying for the next 45 minutes. That's all it would have been. Because I don't think I could actually do this again. So that is our show for this week. I know it's a little short. Um... But yeah, next week is my nephew's second birthday, so I will have a lot of fun, interesting things to tell you about my week. I'm spending another week down at my sister's, so um, yeah, I'm on vacation in southern Ontario, which I'm kind of glad for because up where I am, um, we have snow. Yes, snow. That white crappy stuff that falls from the sky and covers all the green. I'm not happy. But they're calling for snow here where I am in southern Ontario next Friday. So, yeah, okay. Well, if there's going to be snow here, I might as well go home and have the snow there. I don't like snow. I really don't. It's cold. Come on, February. So I can leave the snow for a couple of days anyway. I'm not actually sure how long I'm going to be California or en route to California or coming back from California. I have to get with my pilot and my other traveling companion and plot our route. So 
don't forget, we have PCE coming up February 8th at the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those, I'm telling you, it is one of those days. My brain is not functioning. I actually had to think earlier today. I was trying to put plastic on the windows. See, if you have drafty windows, you can buy these window covering kits and they're just basically plastic and tape. And then you use a hairdryer and you shrink the plastic. Um, except my brother-in-law, you know, he's a go big or stay home kind of guy. So he got a heat gun. Um, learned very quickly on the first window that I did that you don't hold the heat gun in one spot for very long because you know, I had to patch a hole. And I was putting the plastic on the second window and it didn't want to stick. The, the tape didn't want to stick and it didn't want to stick. And it kept falling off. And I tried it in about six different spots. And it still wouldn't stick. And I was about to put my fist through the window. So I had to walk away. So I went outside and took the dog out. My mom has a little annoying football. Furry little football. So I took the dog out. And I stared at, I don't know what kind of tree it is. Normally if I have an issue at home like that. Like if I'm working. If I'm writing and I come to a section that I'm having a problem with. I get up and I walk away. And I go stand on my back deck and I stare at my maple tree. And then I, I can see it more clearly. So I'm standing out in front of my sister's house and I'm staring at the big tree in the front yard and I figured it out. So come back in the house, go back downstairs and worked it out. And it's, it's a little funky. It's kind of, you know, cropped corners here and there and it's not a perfect square. But you know what? Flipping plastic is on the window and yep. Flick it, and it sounds like a drum. So I'm a happy camper. It was a challenge. When I couldn't figure it out the first time, it, it became a challenge. Because my brother-in-law is telling me, you know, don't worry about it. Just leave it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'm, no, it's, now it's a challenge. I have to do this. So that's what I did today all day. It took me pretty much all day to put plastic on two windows. Although the first window required a stick in the window. And nobody had figured out how to put the stick in said window because it's a very old window. And I had to fix that problem too. You know, we had a carpenter and an engineer and a nurse practitioner. And then you have me, a writer, and I figured it out. So I'm very proud of myself for that. Anyway, so we got plastic on two windows. Um, that was my day. That was pretty much my day. Didn't get any writing done. But you know what? There's always tomorrow. So, I guess I will chat with you all next week. Um, if you want to read the stuff, you still have time to vote. Voting for this month's magazine closes in five days, I believe. Five days. So, go over to www.theworldofmyth.com. Make sure you read the stories. If you like the story, vote on the story. Throw a comment or two up there. Let them know why you liked it. Us writers appreciate that. Stroke our egos. It's great. Um, and then, go. you can check out all the new details and anything that's coming up and what's going on on our Facebook page, The World of Myth Bits Podcast or The World of Myth Magazine. You can find us over on Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast or the World of Myth Magazine. You can find me on Facebook at author Stephanie Barty. You can find me on Twitter at Lupa B or on Instagram at Stephanie Barty Author. 
And if you want to send me an email and, you know, tell me I suck or say, hey, how you doing? Um, that would be great. I'm going to wrap this up now because my mommy just sent me a message. Yes, I said my mommy. She is on a cruise right now, which is why I'm at my sister's because I'm keeping her company. And she just sent me a message. So I want to go talk to my mommy now. So <laughs> until next week, everybody, we will talk to you later. See ya. The world of myth bits.